Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, promoting a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day and rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Hosted by Josh Abitoy and Ben Dunson. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the American Reformer Podcast. I'm Time Inclined, Editor in Chief. I'm once again flying solo as Josh Abitoy and Ben Dunson are still AWOL. Uh, presumably, they will return uh, to the fold soon. Um, but today, I'm joined with Dusty Devers. And um, those of you on Twitter, especially uh, SBC Twitter, uh, probably are aware of Dusty, um, but I will let him introduce himself. So, Dusty, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Timon. I really appreciate it. I have really respected uh, a lot of the stands that you have taken and uh, American Reformer as well. So this is uh, quite an honor to be on with you. So, man, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, I am. I, I, I guess if it wasn't for my Senate run, <laughs> I may not be on here, but uh, I do. I do appreciate you having me on. No, no, no. Well, that's, you know, well, I guess we'll never know now, but <laughs> I can say it's not true. Um, but Dusty, before we get to your, uh, yeah, your recent recently announced Senate run, which I think, um, at least in the circles I run in, has sparked some excitement and, and interest. Um, but you are, first and foremost, a, a pastor in the, uh, an SBC pastor. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I've been Southern Baptist since uh, I can remember, you know, I was born again in uh, August 10th, 1988, and that was in a Southern Baptist church that I'm actually sitting in currently. Uh, That's the church that I grew up in. And then I went off to college and went and started some home health care companies and then got a Master's of Divinity and planted a a couple churches in DFW and then moved up back home. And uh, we planted a church and then merged it. I call it a Revita plant with <laughs> the First Baptist Church of Elgin that I grew up in. And it was about to close its doors. And now, by God's grace, we restarted it. And uh, I'm pastoring here. been here for about seven years as a, it's a SBC church. Wow. That's that's great to hear. That, and I like that, uh, that term. I'm, I'm just going to assume you coined it. Um, you know, it kind of coincides with some of the stuff Aaron Renz talked about at various places with, uh, you know, revitalization prospects, even in even in kind of inner cities with with some of the mainline churches that are just dead. And there's been great, you know, kind of encouraging stories of, of similar to the model you just laid out of people revitalizing them, taking back, you know, some of these historic congregations and buildings and, and keeping them going. Um, so that's great to hear. And this is this is in Oklahoma, right? Yeah, Southwest Oklahoma, okay. near Lawton, Fort Sill. Okay. Um, so you so you did some uh, so you were in, in business for a while, then moved into to pastoring um, about how many years ago? Well, I was on staff at the church that we planted. It started in 2004 while I was in seminary, and then in 08 I graduated from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and went on staff at that church. And in 2013, we moved up here uh, from that church. They sent us Redeemer Church in Fort Worth. They sent us here, and I managed, started managing my parents' pharmacy. Uh, my dad started it in 1982 here in Elgin, and my dad ended up getting dementia, Alzheimer's, 
and I stepped in to manage it. And then a little while later, planted that church. And um, so that was about eight, nine, eight or eight and a half years ago that we planted that church. So you are a businessman and, and pastor running, running a family business bivocationally. And now you've decided it would be prudent to add something else to your plate. Um, <laughs> can you walk, yeah. walk us through the, uh, you recently announced for those that missed it, that you are, uh, running for state Senate in your, uh, in your district. Um, what, what, what led you to, uh, to do such a thing? Yeah. Let, let me backtrack and just say, I'm not managing the pharmacy anymore. I did that for about five years and okay. we sold the pharmacy and now I manage, I'm a CEO of Deaver's properties and we have some okay. commercial uh, real estate and I have another residential properties business, but we don't have any properties in it currently. So I'm a bivocational pastor in Elgin, Oklahoma. I, I serve with three other elders. And uh, so, you know, it's a small town. I have six kids. So it's, I just never thought that we should burden the church with um, trying to take care of my whole family. And one of our other elders felt the same way. So we're, we're functionally splitting a full-time salary between the mm -hmm. two of us. And we're both bivocational and we have a third non-vocational pastor. He gets, he gets a little bit, but we, we saw that if we were going to have a plurality of elders and be convictionally committed to it, then we were going to have to, uh, use the skills and the, the talents that God has given us to do some tent making along yeah. the side. And that's been the, that's been how, it, how it's been since uh, I sold the pharmacy. Um, we've just, we've done different things and, and uh, God has continued to provide. And man, I'm just so thrilled by the, the, the getting to serve and, and to pastor here at this church, these people are extremely generous and they are pursuing growth in Christ. And it has just been a joy. I tell, I tell pastors when they ask about the church, I tell them, you, you've got to get you a church like Grace Reformed Baptist Church of Oklahoma. Uh, it's of, of Elgin, Oklahoma. These people are a joy to serve alongside, you know, as Hebrews 13 uh, 17 says, let this be a joy to them that that's the way that our people have made us feel. Hmm. That's, I mean, that's yeah. great to, uh, always encouraging to hear because I think the, um, you know, the, the sentiment or the stories that often you hear from pastors is, is the off the opposite, right? That the, um, not only is the congregation disgruntled or dissatisfied, but they are a burden to the pastor. And it's kind of this, you know, plotting, uh, through life because, you know, it's something they have to do. So it's always, um, you know, very encouraging to hear when there's there's mutual affection between the elders and um, and the and the congregation. Um, and you and you did mention you you, you have a, a plurality of elders um, and have adopted that that sort of uh, church model. Oh yeah, yeah. We we uh, from the beginning we taught on the plurality of elders as the biblical model for, for a well-ordered church. Hmm. And they had never had a plurality of elders before. They had actually never been, had an expository preaching and they hadn't had sequential expository preaching hmm. where you go through a full book of the Bible. And we went through the gospel of Mark the first time. And there were new members 
in their 70s and even 80s who said, this is the first time we've actually ever gone through a book of the Bible in our lives. So it was that was a, a shock to hear. It's unfortunate, but, you know, it really grew a lot of trust on their part and towards us when we were saying, look, we we truly do have a conviction that God's word is sufficient. It's clear. It's authoritative. And it is God's means for establishing a church when you preach the word in its full counsel. And man, people have received it. And now they are, they are being the word of Christ is dwelling in them richly. And I think it's a, it's a good testament to how I actually came into running for this office that perhaps we could talk about whenever it comes time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think that's a perfect segue, um, into, I, I mean, it's what you're highlighting there as well that things shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be missed is the, you know, in revitalizing this church and, and stepping into this, this role that it is, uh, you know, there's obviously efforts you mentioned from the elders themselves to make this work and to, to manage things, but it's also was the introduction of the, you know, clear and true teaching of the word that um, surely has grown this and, and blessed the ministry. Yeah, without a doubt. It's this church has been established on the word of God and it puts us all in a submissive, submissive standing. Uh, the church holds us accountable to preach the word just as much as we hold them accountable to receive the word preached. And it's, it's beautiful because they have an authority that's higher than, than, than the pastors and the pastors have a higher authority than us too. And we all have to rightfully submit under God's word. All authority is derivative from, Mm -hmm. from God. And the same goes in government as well. You Mm -hmm. know, Uh, whenever a government finds itself submitting to the highest authority rather than, some despot who is or some mob who is just making up the the right to rule on their own standards then uh, you know the people become squashed and crushed mm-hmm. in the teeth of the wicked and so it, there is consistency throughout whenever parents who are wielding authority do so under the word of god and uh, as they have derived it from God, mm-hmm. then the same in the church and the same in the civil government, then people can be free in both their conscience and free in the laws of the land to thrive as God would have them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that is, a. I mean, I was just reading this morning, uh, Louis Dumoulin, um, who was a you know a, a Huguenot, but he was in England in the mm-hmm. 1650s. I think I tweeted this out this morning of, you know, I'm saying the principal duty of any visible power, I mean, the government is to regulate uh, actions of society, you know, not to make new laws, but to declare the will of the legislator. And that doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, of course, doesn't mean you don't um, actually, you know, make laws, traffics, you know, laws, whatever, but they always have to be agreeable to or not, um, or not disagreeable to the the um, you know higher authority, and ultimately you're declaring um, you know that authority every time you do make even sort of granular laws, um, and that is uh, you know certainly and, and so you're talking about this authority 
uh, the word of God and, and God himself that governs, you know, all, all visible authorities that have been put over men, whether in church or in state. Um, and I think that is a good segue into, you know, why, why you've decided to uh, throw your hat in the ring for, um, you know, some of this temporal governance, even as you are also pastoring and uh, involved in the, you know, the, the economy in a way that, that many others aren't. Yeah. Um, well, let me just maybe talk about practically and then from a convictional standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, the seat came open. It was vacated by a senator in our district, and he moved over to take the Chamber of Commerce uh, president or chair, whatever the highest position is at the Chamber of Commerce in Lawton, and they vacated the seat. And we, since COVID, have really uh, been studying and trying to understand the role of uh, government and as submissive to God and as who is the highest authority. It really challenged us to, to think about what what's the jurisdiction of earthly governments uh, in relationship to God's jurisdiction over us. And then what is, what's the jurisdiction of each individual uh, in relationship to their uh, human authorities. And uh, so we've done a lot of a lot of study. We've we've taken them through various books and and statements that we've written, and we've been preaching expositionally through Deuteronomy. Uh, so we've really, as a church, the Lord has been preparing us. And whenever the position came open, the our elders called upon the church to pray and take a couple weeks to consider whether the Lord was setting apart someone from our body to pursue this office and take up the duty both before God and before our neighbors and as citizens of this nation where we have a duty, a responsibility to step up into uh to establish just government and to keep it, you know, here's your <laughs> republic if you can keep it. Um, so we took a few weeks and prayed, and then we had a prayer meeting at the church where we all came together. We talked about this, what the demands of the office would be. Oklahoma Senate, is, well, Oklahoma's uh, legislative period is from uh, February to May, and it's part-time throughout the week it's from lunch or from noon on monday till noon on thursday so it's very doable as a part-time position for a bivocational pastor so we explained all those things and we took a time of prayer and one of the other elders and myself put ourselves forward for the church uh, to consider and we we said look we we have prayed, we've considered this before the Lord and before our families, and now we want to offer uh, ourselves before you uh, for scrutiny and to see if God would have us through you take up this duty. And after a time of prayer, the church chose to charge me to take up the responsibility to uh, serve God and serve them and our children and the folks in this district, and then more broadly in the folks of Oklahoma to uh, establish justice yeah. in our land and give them the freedoms back that, that are unalienable. They should not be, these freedoms should not be alienated from our people. And that's what's been happening. So they charged me with it, man. And, and mm -hmm. I, I said, well, 
I, I take it as very much, very much as God's providence and his uh, helping me uh, understand what is the next zealous work for me to be involved in. And uh, I believe that God will show us through his word and through the saints what, what that is. And this is now I find myself here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, great that the, um, you know, that your, your church is, uh, that you've sort of handled it this way through your, through your church and um, that they, they showed that sort of um, not just, not just support, but willing to, you know, submit to the, the, the will of the Lord as expressed through uh, the, the congregation in this way. And that, uh, you know, being in step is in Providence, as they used to say, um, yeah. you know, what are, what is the, um, you, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier that, you know, it was during, during COVID that, um, you know, your, your church and, and the elders began, you know, thinking about, uh, the bounds of of authority, the the proper role of government, the proper relationship between, uh, you know, church and state, these sorts of things, which I think a lot of people did at the time. Mm -hmm. um, was the what was it like on the ground? You know, in Oklahoma, I was out on the East Coast at the time, and then in Florida some. But what was it like on the ground, even in in Oklahoma and your your neck of the woods uh, during that period? That uh, was there anything in particular that that led, um, you know, your congregation to start thinking about those things more? Uh, more seriously. Yeah. You know, we found ourselves as, as elders understudied on the issue of going government, especially when there were mask mandates that were uh, being forced upon people in, in the biggest, the, the county seat is Lawton. And Lawton Fort Sill is, is the third biggest uh, city in Oklahoma, and they were forcing mask mandates. And then some employers were forcing vaccine mandates. And our people were saying, you know, they had questions for us. We had questions theologically. Uh, we, at that time, were underdeveloped in our study of, of where our forefathers, our reformed forefathers had thought through these matters and how they had informed, um, you know, reform thought, but then informed our nation's founding. So we started looking back through like the Westminster Confession. We looked back through the 1689 and we saw more clearly after studying those and studying scripture and studying books like the Vindicii Contra Tyrannus and Lex Rex, um, that, you know, there are spheres of authority and there are, there, there is delegated authority and there are jurisdictions which should not be uh, crossed. So when in our town, I went before our uh, city council and implored them not to install a mask mandate around town that it was not the jurisdiction of the government to force innocent people to self um to self um uh quarantine with a mask and that they didn't have the have the right to overstep those boundaries and then we had some members who were in a, another small town called medicine park it's a it's the number one tourist attraction in Oklahoma. It's just a few minutes from us. And I went and spoke at their city council and implored them not to. And then I went to the Lawton City Council 
and implore them not to force mask mandates for all uh, our mem- for, well for anyone uh, but they did uh, thankfully our town did not um, but those they were real questions and then one of our elders even was was really um, you could say well, he, he had a similar experience to many many people who they were going to require him to vaccinate. And if he didn't, he would have to go under all these, these testing requirements and all these strictures. And uh, he was really being oppressed by his government and, and tyranny was now raining down and we couldn't go into certain stores if we wouldn't wear a mask. We couldn't, they were threatening us that, uh, you know, our healthcare was going to be stripped from us if we didn't wear, do certain things or, or get vaccines and, uh, we even, you know, had to face the challenge of, are we going to require masks in our church? And ultimately we said, well, we are, we are elders. We are pastors of a church. We don't have the jurisdiction over your body to require you to wear a mask or not. This is a conscience decision. You have to make a decision before God. You're innocent. You haven't done anything right or you haven't done anything wrong. So you don't, no one can force this upon you. So there were, you know, it, it was on the ground here. Yeah. As crazy as it sounds in uh, rural Oklahoma. And I think it's just a, just a case in point, like it, it spread everywhere. Tyranny found its way into all, all areas of our lives. And we were, I think God was, was waking up his church to, to really, come to a place where we are i think where we're headed is a lot more people saying no more if we're going to love god then we have to establish justice in his world for his people according to his moral character which is his moral law uh, revealed and if we're going to love god's people we have to have a just government that submits itself to this government you know, I think I think one thing COVID uh, did, um, I think you know, in the end for for the better in this regard, but also other other recent developments like like Dobbs, right, the Dobbs case, which has sort of maybe not quite revitalized yet, but has reminded everybody of the the importance of state and local government as especially in our federalist polity being, um, you know, the really the loci of moral and, um, you know, not just not just moral, but health, general well-being. Um, you know, this is the states are where this is supposed to be legislated and take place because there's accountability there. There's tailoring that can be done, you know, in, in prudence for the particular people um, by, you know, hopefully legislators that actually know them. Um, and rather than, you know, this this general knee jerk deference to the federal standards, which I think is what happened during COVID most of the time. Um, it was, mm-hmm. you know, following uh, the, the God King in Washington and the science for um, and then implementing those those recommendations, very hard and aggressive recommendations um, with with no thought really of, you know, could Oklahoma be different than New York City? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, yeah. even if even if we get past whether it was right or wrong to do do anything about it, there was zero uh, 
in my estimation. Uh, there are exceptions. Maybe Florida would be one under certain red state governors, but there was very little attention given to um, localities and the different needs of uh, various communities during that time. Um, and various requirements, and the you know which would include assessing the threat and uh, the extent to which you're going to do anything about it. So I think what what I'm glad to see, what I think I'm seeing, is a uh, renewed interest in state and local government um, as being uh, you know actually actually important and the proper place for these things to be handled, uh, and then to do it. Of, of course, that would require us to uh, have men and, and people in those in those uh, roles of authority, those lesser magistrates um, mm -hmm. that reflect uh, the interests of their communities faithfully and also, um, you know, submit themselves to uh, to a higher authority that um, dictates their actions rather than and that higher authority, authority not being Washington or even the state capital. Um, so I'm, I think this is all in the end, that's one uh, white pill, as they say, I have from COVID in that period is I do think it not only woke people up to caring about uh, the types of people they have in office and what the proper use of government authority is, but also to recognize that there are very real times when your your local authorities actually do matter, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think um, typically people are, and this is driven by the news cycles, are, are less interested in that. So um I, I think that is is a good thing, and I, I think that um, I'm hoping that many churches like yours also took a similar path of a serious assessment through the tradition, um, you know, of how these things have been articulated, um, and of course, as you said, dr driving it to even our particular American experience and our founding, um, of course, which of course, you know, things like Rex Lex were very influential on, um, has been mm -hmm. documented well. So. Um, I'm hoping that is that is the case. You can let me know um, at a later date whether that actually is becoming the case once you're once you're in office. But um, what is the um, so, sort of more at the nitty gritty level? Uh, what what's the landscape like? I think the primary is coming up in October for um, for this seat. What's the what's how are you feeling about the the campaign at this point? What does it look like um, on the ground for you right now? Yes, October 10th is the primary, and then the general is December 10th. Uh, it's, it's, there are four Republican candidates and two Democrat uh, candidates. And, you know, the Republican candidates, there is one who's the mayor of our town, and uh, he is, you know, going to be well-funded by the company that he works for. There is another candidate who's an, I think she's an ophthalmologist, and she um, is, I think she's, she, I, I don't really know much about her at this point. And then there's uh, the former mayor of Medicine Park, where I spoke at the city council. Uh, they did require mask mandates for their employees, but not for everyone else in the town. Uh, she is running as well. And she was a former Democrat, gave to a whole lot of Democrat uh, campaigns and 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 groups. So it, it's going to be a tough race. There's going to be a lot of money pouring into it. And uh, my, I think our strength is going to be in grassroots volunteers and a lot of people, especially in our area, who are fed up with government overreach and uh, they're really still sore from uh, what happened. And since 2020, and they're seeing now even more the uh, 
you know, the, the leftist agenda and DEI and CRT, even if they wouldn't explain it that way, mm-hmm. pouring into our schools and and just shoved in their face everywhere. And they do not want to see uh, pornography and drag queen story hour and other uh, perversions like this forced on their kids and on them and uh, don't want to see government threatening to take away their ability to defend themselves and their second amendment. So they're, they're on the ground. It's um, I think it's been super encouraging uh, talking with folks and uh, it's going to be a hard, hard, hard race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think the issues that you just laid out there of, of what people are fed up with is a pretty, or is becoming a universal kind of sentiment uh, regardless Mm -hmm. of maybe how they would have, uh, voted before if they vote at all. I mean, that's often the case is it's brought people again back into uh, more rigorous political involvement and care- realizing that this, you know, it does matter unless you want these these things foisted upon you. Um, and that that is a that message you you gave about what you know what's led to this. I think is a pretty unifying and successful message for uh red state candidates in general these things that i mean everyone kind of knows them in their gut at this point like you said even if they don't articulate in the same way um and they are you know fed up with it and it's um you know hopefully is going to produce results and actual change um in that regard because uh again hopefully people realize if (laughs) these are not these are not uh one-off things um if they you know, have done it once, they will do it again or continue to do it. Um, so now is the, the time to, um, you know, sort of take your take your localities back at bare minimum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So one, one thing I wanted to ask you about as well is, you know, when you when you announced the uh, your candidacy, I, I did see on Twitter and this is Twitter. So, um, you know, everyone take it with a grain of salt. But I did see some pushback from certain certain people, certain corners of, you know, questioning whether it was appropriate for um, a minister, even a bivocational one, um, to to run for office at all, of whether this is something, you know, that pastors really should take part in. I've, I, of course, immediately thought of the so-called, you know, black regiment at the, during the uh, American War for Independence of the, you know, the ministers that would be out there, you know, with the Minutemen and, and with their rifles and stuff, <laughs> but, right. you know, um, yeah, but the, uh, so, so what, are, what were your thoughts on that? If, I don't know if you saw all of that, that back and forth online, but uh, it did raise an, an interesting question that could either encourage or discourage, you know, other pastors from, from involvement of this type. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different facets to that. Uh, I I think, man, maybe I can just list off a few. Yeah. I think one, knowing that it's part time and it's not uh, full time, can uh, um, office is important. You know, because if it was if it was full time, that would look like well, a pastor is leaving his post and taking up some other office, and he's not. Some, I, I think some people have said that pastoring is the highest calling, and they've looked at Spurgeon, uh, who has said something like that. But also Spurgeon has, has really pushed for uh, Christian magistrates and, and even pastors to do the same. So uh, that's one thing that it's not – it isn't full-time. It is part-time, and it's possible for someone who is bivocational. Mm-hmm. So kind of get over, getting over that hurdle, then the other would be, well – 
is your church okay with that? Did you just decide? And, and then are you, does your church feel like they're leaving them? No, the church actually charged me to do this. Uh, and they see it as an extension of my love and care for them. And part of my duty to care for them is to see them uh, free in their conscience to not be alienated from the rights that are given to them by God. And I, I am serving both in preaching the word to them on the Lord's day and counseling them with the word, but also seeking to see a just uh, society established around them so that they and their children and their grandchildren would be free to worship God as, as they would like. And uh, not just free to worship, but free to thrive in this world as God, God has ordered it. So that's the second thing, you know, that, Churches actually can charge their pastors to do this and to take up this duty before God and country. Uh, you know, it is kind of a duty in America that, like like Franklin said, if um, here's your republic, basically, if you can keep it. And so it's the duty of, of men who can establish justice according to God's word to rise up and take that duty. And we have to have more and more and more. Um, a third area would be, I think, the church for... And I'm forgetting the president that, that put in the the uh, statement on, on nonprofits or that, that pulpits couldn't. Was it? That would be the oh, Johnson Amendment. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Johnson Amendment. That, that has basically uh, – it, it's tutored churches and Christians that, well, you can't speak and, and really say much in the political sphere. Otherwise, you're going to lose your nonprofit status, and that's that's an, that's not the case. That's a that's a wrong reading of what was being uh, encouraged there. And even if it was, it would be a wrong reading according to Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, because we God's even look at the, the Great Commission. Go therefore into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you're preaching the gospel. But you're also preaching the law and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And so then you say, well, who is under the purview of being taught everything that Christ commanded? Well, that's everybody. It's not just, well, you you can't speak to those in the civil sphere and you can't uh, lead from the civil sphere as though you're going to submit to everything that Christ commanded. Actually, the opposite is the case. We must speak to them we the church must tell them what god's word says the the church must hold their legislators accountable to to be servants of god and it would be unloving if we if we restricted our uh teaching of the word to only people who were not in office bearing positions uh so i think the johnson amendment has has been a tutor in an unhealthy way uh, that would be another area. Uh, maybe a fourth area would be kind of an eschatology or a thinking of the end times that has has uh, bifurcated the spheres and mm-hmm. said, look, if you will, as long as you're working on your personal holiness and you're really uh, keeping your family straightened out and, and ordered according to God's word, and then your church, well, the civil sphere, we know that the world is is going to hell in a handbasket, mm-hmm. and it's going to burn, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. 
and then there's going to be this mass tribulation, and we're just going to be saved by the skin of our teeth. Um, if if that's the kind of teaching that has has tutored uh, a society, then you can understand how some some isolationism, some fear, some pullback from the civil sphere is is kind of a natural response. But I just don't see that in the scriptures. Uh, I, I do not see where God is uh, is silent towards how um, rulers are to submit to him and, and how the church is to participate in the civil sphere. Uh, there's, there's a lot to get into there, and I could read several scriptures, but I've been going for a little bit and gave you, you know, a few arguments for it. No, no, that's, that's very good. I think laying out your case in a way that um, would allow others to kind of walk through the same questions um, if, they're, if they're faced with similar objections or even considering uh, doing what you're doing if they're in, in a similar situation. And I, I, as you were talking about maybe one of the, fir the first two points you made, um, you know, about the, about the, the arrangement, which we've already, already covered with uh, your church, even, you know, you're already bivocational. This is something the church supports. They, in fact, are sending you in this, in this capacity. And I, I just recall that in a lot of the, you know, a lot of the 17th century kind of, and 18th century kind of commentary on uh, the separation of the, you know, the two powers, we'd now say church and state, but ecclesiastical and t temporal or, or civil, um, you know, one of the main comments you'll get from, you know, if you, if you say, you know, clergy should, should not be holding office, one of the main ones is because they'll neglect their duties, right, their duties in the church, which is obviously mm -hmm. something you've already said, you know, that in this, they didn't have this kind of unique situation, you know, that you, that you would or that we do today. They're also living, um, you know, in an establishment which creates different considerations. I think when you remove an establishment, uh, a lot of their concerns would be would be uh, quelled also. Um, you just don't mm -hmm. have the same arrangement. Um, and then you add to that the, the sort of, again, unique political situation, um, the general moral decay of, of our society um, at seemingly every level, um, the c corruption in, in government, the candidates and, and office holders that don't represent uh, the people well. And, and I would say you're, you're in, again, a quite unique uh, situation where, sure, maybe the ideal is that you wouldn't have to do this, but it's, it's not the case. This is what we're faced with. And so you, the ultimate question is, um, you know, are you going to step in and, and do something about it. Those that are, you know, the right, if the righteous don't do good, you know, the, the foundations will fail and the people uh, will have nothing. So, um, yeah, I, when I saw those objections, I was pretty un online, I was pretty unmoved by them, but did want to get your take, which I think you, you presented well. Um, not to mention, we can always distinguish between the person and the office in a certain way, right? So, so you can fulfill multiple duties at once. Um, uh, you know, even even though the person is is holding both offices, so I see see no even theoretical objection in, in given those uh, those kind of qualifications and given the situation and uh, where we are now. So I think if anything, we should be encouraging faithful pastors to do more of this. Um, and I really don't see how there could be um, a better class of candidates in certain ways, um, especially at this at local and state levels. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to get your your take on, though, before uh, while we have you is, you know, I think you were pretty involved with and, and paid a lot of attention to, uh, you know, the the this year's the summer's Southern Baptist Convention uh, back in June. 
um, at least I saw online, you know, commentary from you and, and others. Um, you know, I think we, we've done a podcast on some of this on here before with the law amendment and um, some of those issues I did with, with talked about with Josh. Um, but what, what was your general takeaway or, or, you know, from leaving the SBC this year and what's your um, sense of where, where its future lies and what's, what trajectory it is on? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, we had, we had several, several significant things that happened. I think the Mike Law Amendment getting to the floor and getting passage uh, really, really overwhelmingly was important to hear where the people on the ground are, where your, your common Southern Baptists are, and then uh, seeing the Rick Warren vote and the other vote on the, um, on the, on the female pastor who was, I'm trying to remember her name. Um, oh, I'm not going to be able to help you there. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's been a little bit since I've thought about these things. Uh, anyway, seeing, seeing that uh, kind of go really strongly, 90% plus on them. And I think it was 88% on Saddleback to vote to, to, um, it is essentially a vote that is very conservative to say that SBCs, uh, the people, don't recognize that we should move in a mainline direction and we should affirm what we historically have, that uh, God's word says that only men should be elders or pastors and, and of, of churches. Those were important. Um, and then... You know, there were there were several motions that were requesting entities to release uh, disclosures audits uh, on a 990 level to all the messengers. And really what that's saying is that, you know, I think people are frustrated on the ground with not seeing financial accountability, not seeing the numbers. There's not transparency in in our institutions and how there's so much um, you have to remember in the Southern Baptist Convention. The money that's that's sent to these institutions is comes from the the cooperative program. We have a general fund that churches give into for the sake of mission mission work, principally, and for the mission of Southern Baptists. And whenever Southern Baptists start to get disgruntled, it's typically because there's mission drift, and that means we're either moving leftward from the scriptures because we call ourselves the people of the book. And it's because the money that was for that, for our, our, our mission of, it's, it's a great commission uh, mission, is being spent in ways that is very questionable. Now, what are the answers? Well, one of the answers is you have to have a financial accounting for it, and you have to have transparency. And uh, on the ground, I think a lot of Southern Baptists are very frustrated but what you saw also was that there is a, I think, a big disconnect between where some of the former presidents and some of the platform over the past uh, several years have been taking things and really wanting to move the convention versus where the, most of us who are Southern Baptists and in, in church, churches want to see things go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem, I mean, on both of these fronts uh, to connect the, you know, our, our sort of two topics here, I mean, it does seem mm-hmm. a crisis of leadership is um, mm-hmm. 
and and uh, maybe we could say disinterest or, or salutary neglect uh, from the current leadership of the the people in the pews, uh, you know, euphemistically on both sides, politically and uh, ecclesiastically, is what's what's led to um, you know potentially some some good changes, um, people waking some people up. Um, and it's been around the same time. I think during during COVID, as we were talking about earlier, people not only started thinking uh, or rethinking maybe their priors about uh, political authority, but also started looking at um, either official or de facto church leaders um, within broader evangelicalism. Uh, much of the time, you know, it can be even synonymous with the SBC given its its size, um, and and being uh, immensely dissatisfied with that leadership and that there's there is um, both both in terms of their general tenor and the, their approach to emerging issues but also just the the doctrinal drift and lack of fealty to the, the traditions they're supposedly standing in and, and uh, you know run on that basis uh, for the authority that's that's delegated to them um, so is, I mean do you think that's a fair characterization across the board um, of what's what's basically happening? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's common to hear in the SBC that the SBC really has become a very political entity, and it tracks really well with the way the politics are going in the nation. So whenever you see the ebbs and flows of our national government, you're going to see a lot of that in the SBC. And it has unfortunately become such a political animal that uh, it it has bowed down and, and bent and compromised with God's word on several areas. And we are seeing, I think, just like we're seeing on the national level, a movement of people to bring morality back into our government. We're seeing a movement in the SBC to not, not, not bring morality per se, but more establish mm-hmm. our standards on God's word and then question where why things have been going the way they are and get some more transparency. And I think it's a grassroots movement in, in both areas uh, that is that, that God is raising up. We need repentance in the SBC. We need repentance at, as a nation as well. And really to have revival, uh, to have reform, it's going to have to be a reform through repentance. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a, uh, a great word to end on um i'm dusty thanks so much for for coming on and i'm um glad that you're you're sort of taking up the mantle um both in in church and state for for reform in this way um and i you know hope that that others will will try to find ways to emulate that same model and approach and concern for for these issues um so i appreciate you doing that as well um not only coming on the podcast but doing real work out there Oh, thank you, brother. I, you know, if people uh, want to help, we could really use the support. It is going to be grassroots and or it is grassroots and there is going to be a lot of money flowing into this this uh, campaign. And I, we need it. It's, this is not about me per se. This is about giving uh, the people a voice and their freedoms and not only back in some ways, but really protecting them and us getting uh, government out of places, out of jurisdictions that, that they don't deserve to be in. And uh, so if you want to help, you can go to my website. It's Devers2023.com. 
And you can you can find out more about my platform that's growing and it's expanding there. You know, I am a pastor. I haven't been in politics before, and I don't ever want to be a politician in the sense of it's, you know, where a lot of people think it's grimy and scummy. Well, you don't have to be like that to be in politics. You can establish it according to God's word. And, and I'll be held accountable by my church uh, for every vote that I cast and all the things that I say, but also I'll be accountable to God. So, you know, Devers2023.com. And uh, if anybody wants to support and give, I really could use the funding. We have a whole lot of literature that we need to get out and we need to be able to get materials in our volunteers hands so we can win this vote October 10th and then win the general on December 10th. Mm -hmm. And everybody can go uh, also follow Dusty on Twitter um, as a, to, to get up to even if you're not in Oklahoma, get updates on, on what he's doing that way, I'm sure as well, and follow his, uh, his commentary, sometimes spicy, uh, but always good. Um, Dusty, thanks so much for coming on and, and giving us your time. Oh, thank you so much. I just really appreciate you guys and, and hope the Lord uh, blesses the work of your hands that he establishes it from here forth. Thank you for listening to the American Reformer podcast. Make sure to visit us online at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at AMReformer.